In this episode of Women Taking the Lead, I'm talking with Nikki Groom about the concepts of worthiness, shame, the women's credibility challenge, and finding freedom by giving yourself permission to fail. The self-aware leader is an empowered leader. The more that you know about yourself, the more you can do, right? Because you know, okay, this is kind of one of my weak spots, but here's where I'm really strong. And it's interesting, actually, because one of my earliest mentors once said to me, you know, the same things that make you great are the same things that make you a bit of an ass. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to join the community and get the resources to support you on your leadership journey. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me. I am sitting here with Nikki Groom, and she is hailed as a force of nature and a rising superstar, and she's on a mission to help rising women leaders recognize their worthiness, own their power, and amplify their impact without checking their integrity at the door. She's the author of A Power of Your Own, How to Ignite Your Potential, uncover your purpose, and blaze your own trail in life and business. She's a business brand and marketing strategist and the creator of the Movement Makers Mastermind. It's a small business growth accelerator for women entrepreneurs. Nikki hosts the Movement Makers podcast, is the founder of the 100 Stories Worth Telling Project, and acts as an advisor for social entrepreneurs and enterprises. She's been involved in dozens of projects and partnerships that focus on empowering women in business. Amen. Nikki, love your bio. I don't know where you find free time, but you are (laughs) definitely out to change the world and make a difference for women in business. So if you could tell everyone a little bit more about you, because that's a broad stroke of what you're up to in the world. Yeah. And honestly, I sometimes I get trapped in kind of, well, what label do I stick on myself? Cause I know how to do this and I love doing that. And this is my passion and that's my passion. And so sometimes I love to just kind of distill down the work that I do. And what I've realized is that at its core, all of it comes down to reminding women in particular that what they have to offer the world is special and valuable. And that all ties back to a story that I actually lead with in the book of somebody who once applied to be in my Movement Makers Mastermind. And on the application form, she said, I'm worried that what I have to offer the world isn't special or valuable. I remember reading that and getting incredible goosebumps, but also feeling, you know, my heart went out to her because I think that we've all been there at some point. You know, we've had that self-doubt creep in and we've worried, is, is it, am I actually making a difference? Is there any point in me doing this? And so that really is what drives my work. I'm grateful to be able to make a difference, but ultimately I want to help other women really kind of step up and into those shoes of leader and use their voices in really impactful ways that help others. Oh, Nikki, you're speaking right to my heart. Like when you told that story and what that woman said, you're right. Like, I think we all have had those moments. And I know poignantly, I have definitely had those moments, even though I have people tell me, you're crazy. What you do is so valuable and important and all of this stuff. We all have those moments of, does does what I'm doing matter? You know, does 
does anyone value it? You know, do they see it? We have those moments of self-doubt that can hold us back. And if they, if we're lucky, it's a passing moment. But I know that sometimes it sticks with us and we do need reinforcement from outside. So I just love the work that you're doing. And for those of you who've, you know, been listening to Women Taking the Lead for a while or caught up recently, you may recognize Nikki's name and her voice because she was on episode 200 of the Women Taking the Lead podcast. And I was putting out so many episodes in the beginning. I think, Nikki, you were on within the first year or two. Um, And so you were you were OG women taking the lead. And so much has happened since then. And we had an opportunity to connect recently. And I noticed that you had written a book and you graciously gifted me with a copy, which I read just consumed within a couple of days. And I remember when I reconnected with you and I was reading your book back to you. Like the, I can't even imagine what that experience like was for you, but definitely had a sense of, oh my goodness, you're speaking right to the heart of the topics that come up for the women in my community. And I'm sure like, before we get into all of the, the, you know, I have a few concepts from the book that I, I would love to discuss. What was your experience of, you know, conceptualizing this book and manifesting it into the world? Oh, that's a question and a half. Well, first of all, yes, I actually love that it's been this, this amount of time has passed since I last came on the podcast, because so much has happened in that period. And much of the book actually deals with that in terms of moving, moving me from where I was, where I very much felt like I had kind of built my business from the outside in. And to it, it kind of follows that journey where I begin sharing how to really build your business from the inside out. And, you know, there's a reason that the book is called A Power of Your Own, because so much I think of being in business for yourself is really understanding everything that you bring to the table and owning that and embracing that and learning what the world has told you about who you are or aren't or can or can't do. So... In terms of the book taking shape and taking form, I have to admit in the beginning, I thought it was going to be a different book. And what I found really interesting is the way that it kind of evolved and changed in a really beautiful, organic way. So back in 2015, I had just started the 100 Stories Worth Telling project, which was a project which sought to amplify the stories of women who had turned adversity to their advantage to do the work that they do today. And so many of those stories are in the book. And in the beginning, I thought that the entire book would just be focusing on that kind of adversity piece and turning it to your advantage. And what I found was in the beginning, I interviewed many women who are mentors um, or peers or have just been in my network, in my community, who I just wanted to connect with and talk about some of the concepts that I was thinking I might uh, deal with in the book. And they just shared more stories and gave me more ideas. And so I ended up taking all of those interviews along with the 100 stories worth telling and began to kind of shape out the chapters according to different concepts. So, you know, you have a whole chapter on shame. You have a whole chapter on, uh, you know, the fact that failure isn't fatal. And, And just some of these real amazing, strong, grounded concepts that have really become pillars for me in terms of how I've built my business. And not only that, how I've really 
discovered my true potential and embraced that and begun showing up in a different way. And that explains why you're so good at speaking to the issues that hold most women back. You have talked to so many women who have faced adversity in trying to, you know, make a difference, you know, start their business, make their business profitable, have an impact, all of that stuff, because your book did have a feel of a Brene Brown research project where, you know, you just had all these stories of women that in it distilled down, you were able to really draw out, you know, here's this broad concept that we all know, but here's what it looks like. And here's how you get to the heart of it. And you you pointed right to one of them. So let's go there first, is the concept of shame. And that is so big, um, so big. I, I guess I'll, I'll put it in your lap, which is unfair as the interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> where but i know you know you, you like this this is something like you speak very articulately on when we feel shame it is soul sucking and it steals our joy and our ability to move forward how do you see shame showing up for women in business Oh, yes. I, I feel like it shows up in so many different ways. And again, it ties back to all of these beliefs or stories that we have absorbed and internalized that the world has been telling us about, okay, if I'm a woman, then this is what I should be doing. This is what I should not be doing. This is what I should be talking about. This is what I should not be talking about. This is how I should look. I mean, in in a recent group get together with my mastermind group, we were talking about this idea of not feeling attractive enough to be front and center in your business, not wanting to post pictures of yourself to social media, which so many people are doing because, you know, uh, the person in question was saying, you know, I feel like I'm getting older and I'm not as thin as I used to be. And we had such a great conversation about that because looks is so important when it comes to women. And we we believe that we have to look a certain way in order to be successful. And that's actually why I love sharing the story of Ashley Bowden, who founded the Imperfect Boss uh, Project, because she is all about embracing our imperfections and not being afraid to talk about them and share them with other people. Because as soon as we do that, we kind of break that hold that perfectionism or wanting to kind of meet meet a certain mold has over us and we let other people know hey you are not the only one feeling this way and actually is this our fault is this something that we need to turn inward and find you know do we need to find fault with ourselves or is this something that we can attribute to outside forces that really should have no hold over us so you know and and it's not even just in the context of the business world, it doesn't matter who you are. You know, you might feel shame because your family told you that if you weren't married by a certain age, then you would be an old maid. Or, you know, you might feel shame because you got divorced and you are a member of the church where that's frowned upon. You know, the, the list really is endless. And what I've discovered is that there are so many shame points in our lives or so many places where shame can form. And that shame can keep us stuck in place. 
and prevent us from moving forward because we're, we're kind of mired in it and we're, we're believing what it's telling us that we're not worthy, that we're not good enough. And so um, I think, you know, uh, it, it's incredible when you begin to surface some of that shame and really take a 360 look at it and understand that we can bring compassion to the shame that we feel. We can kind of nurture that shame within ourselves and give ourselves a break and uh, begin unraveling some of that. And one big way that I, I share about in the book, which again ties back to the 100 Stories Worth Telling project, is that, and, and just as I had mentioned before as well with Ashley's project, is that the more that we can share these stories and really kind of, and this definitely is a Brené Brown concept, right, is mm-hmm. knowing what we've been through, knowing what those experiences have been and the choices that we've made, perhaps out of necessity or, or perhaps um, out of choice or perhaps because we had no choice, you know, taking that story, taking those experiences and owning them and reframing them in a way that's useful to us and potentially even useful to other people is such a great starting point. And I have to say, you know, I think back to, for example, the Me Too movement, and I shouldn't say think back to it because, of course, it's still going. And I remember a friend of mine, a close friend who had been through a really tumultuous upbringing and, and been through things that nobody should ever have to go through saying, well, I, you know, I see all these women sharing their stories and I don't feel like I want to share my story. And she kind of felt this pressure to make it public. And so, you know, this comes back to that idea of we can own our stories and then we get to choose what we do with them. So that might mean simply sharing your story with a therapist and kind of talking through it or with a close friend and, and beginning to, to look at some of the ways that maybe the way that you were framing that story was holding you back and how you might reposition it. Again, this idea of taking that adversity that you've been through and realizing that it's created in you incredible strength and resilience that will really power you forward in terms of whatever you choose to do with your life. It's so freeing to get to that place where you can take a step back and go, is this true? Or do I have to? A lot of what I'm hearing you say is this um, assumption that you have to be a certain way. You have to do a certain thing. And if you don't, that's what causes the problem. And for those who are listening, I I do want to make the distinction that there's a difference between guilt and shame. You know, guilt being I did something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. There's something wrong with me as opposed to I did something wrong. And just to give a a quick, simple example, you know, if you were supposed to call somebody back, if, if your reaction to realizing you forgot is, oh, shoot, I should have done that. Let me do that now. You might feel a little guilt that you didn't do it in a timely manner. Shame goes a step further and goes, oh, not just, oh, shoot, I didn't do that. It would be an additional thought of what's wrong with me. You know, why do I screw these things up? You know, I'm this, I'm that. You start calling yourself names and labeling it, which completely disempowers you, whereas a mistake you can forgive yourself for. I think typically, you know, if you can't, then it sounds like there's some shame involved in that. And, you know, Nikki, I I think of like your, your first example where women have this thing, like, if I'm in business, I need to look a certain way. Right. Mm -hmm. And how that holds women back from creating videos, which is incredibly powerful in business right now, or you're afraid to be in your own marketing materials 
which is powerful for people to be able to see you and get a sense of you. And then I've even had experiences where women didn't want to turn on the camera on a Zoom call because they didn't believe that they were presentable at that time, which I always encourage people, come as you are. I don't care. I don't judge. <laughs> you know, I, I that isn't what's going to win me over to you. But that was holding these women back where, you know, getting a visual of somebody can be very powerful and help us to connect more. The, the shame around how I look and how I show up can hold women in business back. What, and I don't know if you, you have anything to add on on that, Nikki. Well, no, I, I mean, I, I completely agree. And I love the distinction that you made between guilt and shame. And, and again, yes, that shame place is the stuck place. It's mm-hmm. kind of, we can, we can step around it, we can avoid it, but often it's very easy to find yourself there. And I think the first thing that we can do is really bring that awareness to, oh, I'm in, I'm in the stuck place. I'm feeling some shame. Now, yeah, exactly like you said, is this shame true? Is it something that I deserve to be feeling? Um, and where does it come from? Where does it originate from? Mm. And that's a great segue because another concept in your book that just grabbed me by the throat, like as soon as I got to that part, I was like, oh God, I see this so often. I think shame segues nicely into worthiness, right? Mm-hmm. Am I worth what I want to accomplish? Am I worth asking for what I want or what I need? Um, give the audience like an overview of how you cover worthiness in the book. Yeah, again, it's it's noticing and bringing awareness to those deeply rooted, oftentimes beliefs that originate from you know you might call it your inner critic, and they're typically rooted in absolutes and and sound like I can't or I'm not or I will never, and those beliefs are usually hiding out in places where we're not producing the kinds of results that we want. Um, you know, I share the story in the book, which I know that we had discussed when we chatted before, because it's such a powerful story of Grace Quantock, who was diagnosed with multiple different conditions and, and illnesses and ended up in a wheelchair. And the doctors pretty much washed their hands of her and said, look, you know, you just have to put up with it. There's nothing more that you can do. You can't heal yourself. Like, this is just the way that it is. And she didn't want to take their word for it. And so she began trying different holistic treatments. And, you know, she tells this really vivid story of one day being in the kitchen and she'd fixed herself this green juice and a friend poked their head around the door and said, oh my goodness, Grace, what is that? That looks disgusting. It's just such a small thing, isn't it? But this triggered a line of thinking for Grace. And she tells the story so beautifully in her TEDx talk, but she says, you know, I felt like a freak. And she confided in her husband, in that moment, I felt like a freak. I, you know, I, I, she just couldn't see another way to look at herself. And her husband said and reflected back to her so beautifully, Grace, what if you're not a freak? What if you're a trailblazer? And that just shifted something inside her. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. And I, I think that oftentimes, I'm not saying it's always as simple as that to decide, hey, I'm not this thing. I'm going to be this, this thing instead. But there is a lot of truth in it. And oftentimes it takes practice, right? Just letting go of those limiting negative beliefs about ourselves and instead embrace 
compassionate, loving beliefs, powerful beliefs about ourselves or empowered beliefs, but it totally is doable. And I think you're right. It does take practice. That's a muscle we have to build to identify the stories that we've either been living in for a while, but it's not, (laughs) what's nice about this story is you could see it in action. Like there, there wasn't a lot of time that passed between the incident where Grace came up with the story, I'm a freak. And when it got challenged, you know, so like you said, it doesn't happen, always happen that quickly. Luckily it had happened so quickly so close to the event that she was able to see it for what it is for sometimes those stories have been sticking around for so long and we've been repeating them for so long. It really takes conscious effort to look at it, look at the story and, and ask ourselves, is that true or is something else true? And you're right. We can't just say, Oh, I'm, I'm, you know what, this isn't working for me. So I'm just going to give that up, you know, but with, like I said, conscious intention and maybe even some help from like a coach or a friend who's really good at these things and helping us to examine like, is that true? Or is this something we're just saying about ourselves to get at, you know, (laughs) that that's almost like a silver lining, that empowering thing. Like, yes, Grace was drinking green juice and not many other people were drinking green juice. You can choose the, the story to be that you're a freak, or you can choose that you're a trailblazer and which one feels better for you. And I think what, what's interesting about Grace's story is that she may have just kind of thought this in her head, you know, oh, I'm a freak and, and just believed it and just gone on living her life, believing that, but she chose to share that with somebody And I think sometimes it's so interesting, isn't it? Just saying these things out loud, like, oh, I think I'm this or I'm that. And hearing the words ourselves, suddenly we feel a little bit silly sometimes. Or hopefully if we're surrounded by really supportive spouses or great friends, or again, a great therapist, whoever it might be, hopefully they'll say back to us, hey, you know, do you, do you really think that? Because that ain't the truth. And that's probably the number one thing that I love doing in my mastermind groups. I always talk about it in terms of reflecting back to people, the possibilities. And oftentimes it's like, you know, they, they maybe aren't fully embracing the possibilities for their lives and businesses because they're stuck in that way of thinking about themselves. Oh, I'm this, so I can't do that. And I'm like, Hey, I don't see that. Like from everything that you've told me from the proof that you have from the clients that you've worked with or the projects that you've successfully pulled off. Like, that's not what I'm hearing. That's not what I'm seeing. Um, So I think, you know, and and that actually is something else that I talk about in the book as well is, is surrounding yourself with a really uh, supportive community of mentors and champions and people who will work consciously to uplift you and remind you of what's really true. It's so powerful and it's so needed because what I was thinking, Nikki, while you were talking is why is it we tend to wait till to our moments of feeling wiped out or on the verge of burnout or, you know, just something not going our way. And those are the moments we decide to, to tell a new story about ourselves and to decide how worthy we are. Right, right. It's it's interesting. I and I I don't know why that is. It actually reminds me of, you know, talking about community and 
you know, reaching out to others or asking for help or verbalizing some of the things that we're struggling with, you're right, that often doesn't happen either until you're in a place where you're feeling really alone and you're really struggling and there's nothing else for it but to reach out and ask someone else, what the hell should I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and, and what I have learned is that I used to think I was really strong and resilient and uh, kind of a little bit of a, a badass just from not asking for help and figuring things out by myself and forging, you know, blazing my own trail, forging my own path by myself. And I realized that actually one of the most amazing things, one of the most amazing gifts that we could ever give ourselves and others, because if the right people are around us, then they actually really want to be of service to us is to ask for help. And it shifts everything when we do that. And the earlier we can do that, the better. And particularly, you know, if you're someone who has been through burnout before or uh, can maybe recognize some of those symptoms, you know, as soon as you, as your uh, tentacles, I don't know what to call them, go up on end and tell you, hey, danger, there's burnout in the distance. That's such a great time to reach out. Um, And again, it comes back to practicing. I don't think it's something that we figure out, oh yeah, you know, I wait too long to ask for help. So I'm just going to ask for help all the time. You know, it is a practice um, and it, and it's a humbling practice, right? Because we have to admit, I don't have all the answers. Well, I say in the book, none of us have all the answers and we need to normalize the conversation around that. You know, no one is a complete authority and has all the answers and is all knowing, you know, we, we have to accept that it's okay not to have it all figured out and it's okay to ask the people around you for help and support when you need it and sometimes even before you need it. Yes, and I will say that is one of the added bonuses of being in a mastermind group because the structure is in place already for you to ask for help, right? You don't have to go out of your way to ask for help. The program is designed for everybody in the program to take time to ask for help. <laughs> so like for people who feel uncomfortable going out of their way, asking for help, this could be a good place to start building that muscle and practicing. And the other thing is you're getting feedback when things are going well, right? And getting people cheering you on and reinforcing you. And then you get that support and guidance and that that help to get clarity when things aren't going well. Um, in your business or in your life to to kind of get back on track. So uh, I just had to say that too, because I know you run a mastermind and this is what you're all about is reaching out, getting support, collaborating, working together. Don't isolate yourself because these things, this, you know, these shame feelings and the the lack of worthiness will perpetuate if you don't reach out and you don't get that feedback from people who see you and see your awesomeness. Absolutely. And I know a recent guest on your podcast is somebody that I know I'm very well acquainted with, Jennifer Brown. And even from a diversity, equity and inclusion standpoint, um, I've been working with Jennifer for many years now and have received just the absolute best education in all things related to DEI. Even, you know, when you think about ERG groups or BRG groups within organizations, you know, beginning to have these maybe difficult conversations where you don't have all the answers because you maybe can't quite see things through someone else's eyes or you haven't had the same experiences as somebody else and there are knowledge gaps you know it's incredibly 
um, it's incredibly important to be able to find safe spaces where you can share what you don't know and so uh, so that other people can kind of guide you forward and, and give you a helping hand. Yes, I love that term, safe spaces, because we need that, right? Because <laughs> that part of what holds us back is this fear of like, I'm going to do it wrong. I'm going to say it wrong, which actually is a great segue into the next couple of concepts I want to talk about from your book that are tied together. It's all under that umbrella of perfectionism, right? So the two things specifically is you did a great job articulating in the book how part of what creates perfectionism is the what we call the women's credibility challenge, right? We, as women, feel like we have to do more, do better. Uh, we, we have to always get it right because somebody's just waiting to assume that we're not competent. Right. Or, or we, we, we're not as credible as a man. And so the, this need to get things right all the time can stem from this fear of I'm going to get left behind or I'm going to get ignored. They're not going to take me seriously unless I'm going above and beyond. And then on the flip side, Nikki, you talk about, um, kind of the release from that is finding the freedom by giving yourself permission to fail. So it's a big topic. <laughs> so <laughs> how do we even break it down? So let's let's just start with um, more examples because we, we're always good with um, digesting information through stories. You know, how, how did it come up for you to to really dive into such a big topic of perfectionism? Well, I am a recovering perfectionist and work with many women who also describe themselves in the same way. And these days, I like to reframe it and say, well, I have high standards of excellence, <laughs> um, which there's nothing wrong with having high standards of excellence and wanting to do things to the best of your ability. But now I try and talk about it more as in, okay, how can I do the best I can with what I have right now? And that is a release in and of itself because suddenly, oh, I don't have to do things in this way because maybe I don't have the, these resources or I don't have access to this or that or the other. It, it just kind of allows us to be realistic about what we're able to accomplish. Um, but yeah, one story that I do share in the book, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a silly story. It, it does, uh, it did um, cause a few people to chuckle at me. Um, a long time ago, when I first launched my podcast, I remember somebody left me a voicemail, a friend, and said, oh my goodness, a friend and I were just traveling in the car, and we were listening to your podcast episode with Erica Liramark, and we were just blown away. You are absolutely killing it. You know, you just awe and amaze, but it was just a wonderful voice note, the, one, the kind of voice note you never want to let go of. And I sort of, you know, probably patted myself on the back and felt a little bit smug. And um, then I share in the book that the same day I I uh, was traveling back from somewhere and ran out of gas on a major bridge in Rhode Island. We have lots of bridges down south here. And um, it was so embarrassing. I remember thinking, yeah, I think I can just about get to the other side of the bridge and of course I didn't. I petered out. I blocked all of the traffic. The police had to come. I just felt so embarrassed and so humiliated. And at the same time, I thought, 
I think there's a lesson in here. I think there's there's a little kernel of something in here. And so when I got home, I shared about it on my Facebook page. I said, you know, on the very same day that someone can tell you that you're killing it, it can be the same day that you run out of gas on the Mount Hope Bridge or something like that. And I received so many great responses from people who were like, oh my goodness, I've done that too. Don't sweat it. Yes, I, I totally have been there. And what it made me realize is that, you know, a friend of mine says, nothing is all good or all bad all at the same time. And so that was a perfect example of a day which had a great start and then went very wrong. And, um, you know, I could have felt terrible about it. Well, you know, I'm an idiot and I should have filled my gas tag. But actually, you know, we it's okay to screw up. It's okay to make stupid mistakes. It's okay to make clever mistakes and calculated mistakes and intentional, uh, intentionally um, push ourselves out of our comfort zones. But Ultimately, I think there's real power in sharing about some of those failures, even if they're a little bit tongue in cheek and not the end of the world. Um, And that's what I'm just realizing more and more, the more that we can, especially as women, because so many of us have been told that we don't belong in high places, that we are maybe less credible than, you know, somebody else, a male leader in our company or um, a male peer. And I think that the more that we can kind of band together and and say, hey, yeah, me too. I've done that too. Don't sweat it. You're human. It's normal. Uh, like, don't let it hold you back. Keep keep on going. Keep on killing it. It's it's interesting. And sometimes, you know, even I was walking the dog this morning, and my head kind of slipped back to a time when I <laughs> I did something really silly, and I. Um, yeah, I, I won't go into details because I'm still a little bit stuck in the shame place about that story. But um, I almost I almost caused a small fire in my home. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so that, that says enough about my cooking efforts right there. So for some reason, my head went back there this morning and I thought, gosh, Nikki, like, it's OK. It's just it's just one of those things. Let it go and move on. And again, you know, it could be something people these days are sharing more and more about bigger mistakes that they've made perhaps in the past. And I think there's definitely a time and a place for, for sharing those things, but um, yeah, we don't have to be perfect (laughs) is the, is the end of the line and, and everything and everyone around us is constantly telling us that we do. And so it is an act of resistance to say, actually I'm imperfect and that's okay. I accept myself anyway, and I'm still amazing at what I do. And I still have a future and I still have, you know, if this is something that's, uh, some, you know, something that I often do wrong, you know, it's something, it's an area that I can work on, you know, really cultivating that growth mindset is, uh, it is so key. So that was one of the stories I shared in the book and it's, it's as I say, kind of silly, but um, <laughs> I think, it, I think it shows how we can go from one to the other all in the same day. And actually it says nothing about who we are at our core. No. And I love that expression you use. I'm going to steal it from you. A grace mindset. Just having mm-hmm. grace. Like we're all human. We all make mistakes. There's no such thing as not making mistakes because we can't possibly know it all. In order to be perfect, you would have to be all knowing. And right. we're not. It's so it, it's so funny to me how with a lot of these concepts too, conceptually, we get, I'm worthy you know, I don't have to be perfect, right? Of course, of course, of course. But we don't live it because we don't believe it in our hearts. We don't. (laughs) 
saying I'm saying all of this to you and do I really believe it I don't know again it's it's that idea of we have to patiently practice believing these things and every time we catch ourselves acting in a different way or behaving in a different way we have to notice oh I'm doing the perfectionist thing again and I can cut myself some slack and you know take my foot off the gas and (laughs) I love your recommendation of like let it be a little tongue-in-cheek right? Have a laugh at it, right? Because that is a cure. Laughter and humor, you know, even if it's at ourselves, is that moment where we can, it's such a release, you know, to kind of shake your head at yourself and go, what was I expecting, right? Oh, I just made that mistake. You know, it's so funny. And I do have to share that. I Maybe it's my age, but I'm finding that recently I'm much more willing to own up to the parts of myself where at a younger age, I would have tried to protect, you know, mm-hmm. and, and deny. And just this week I announced at a dinner table, yeah, I'm not a good driver. I'm not. And, you know, to deny it is ridiculous. I'm not causing accidents, right? I'm not hurting people. (laughs) Thank goodness. You know, I'm not causing, you know, property damage or anything like that. But there are times where I notice like, oh, like that was a bad decision or I wasn't paying attention or not that I'm on my phone, but like, you know, something distracted me. And then all of a sudden I realized the person in front of me, you know, didn't proceed at the stop sign and I almost just ran into them, you know, that sort of thing. It's not, you know, horrible and harsh, but, you know, and I, I said it to my sister as well, because she, you know, we, and the great thing was, is we had a laugh about it because I was just like, I owned it. And, and so what, right. And so we could laugh about it, but it didn't go on and on and on because you probably have noticed in the past, like when we get defensive about something and we don't want and we want to deny it, like all of a sudden there's discomfort. That's where the shame comes from. Cause we're trying to hide something about ourselves because we think it's wrong. Like, yeah, I don't know many people who are good drivers, to be honest. Right. Apart from me, Jody. I mean, you do know me. So. Right. Except for you, Nikki. <laughs> and I did have this thought, like, how many people's cars do I get into, whether I'm in the passenger seat or the driver's seat? And at some moment during the drive, I don't think to myself, what are they doing? <laughs> oh, I am a terrible passenger seat driver. I have to like <laughs> close my eyes or just stare at my phone the whole time or sit in the back seat. Yeah, I can't do. Yeah, so it was incredibly freeing to just be like, I'm not that good of a driver. And I know probably on one hand, the number of people who I feel completely safe driving in their car because they are good drivers, you know, and it's not just the things that we can say, I'm not. And by the way, hardly anyone else is, but it is incredibly freeing to just own this about yourself and not try to deny it. Like when it comes to technology, I get tripped up right? That, you know, sometimes I don't always say the right thing. You know, sometimes I forget things that are important, but that mentality of grace, like, and I'm human and I can make up for it, right? Right. It's not a denial or, or denying responsibility because you do want to get to a place where you're like, okay, I did that. How do I make it right? But I'm not going to beat myself up over it and shame myself for making a mistake. The self-aware leader is an empowered leader. The more that you know about yourself, the more you can do, right? Because you know, okay, this is kind of one of my weak spots, but here's where I'm really strong. And it's interesting, actually, because one of my earliest mentors once said to me, you know, the same things that make you great are the same things that make you a bit of an ass. (laughs) And And it's so true when you begin to look at that, 
you know, I get incredibly, going back to the, the driving example, I get incredibly stressed when I don't know where I'm going. And I'm like, oh, okay, so that's one of my things. I need to know where I'm going. And, and that can be in any situation, not just when I'm on the road, but when I'm in business, when I'm looking ahead at, at my goals, you know, I want to know where I'm headed. Otherwise, I'm going to get very stressed and you don't want to be around me. Um, and the same thing, I also, one thing that drives me nuts is if something isn't where it's supposed to be. And so I'm like, oh, so that means that I like to have everything in its place. And so it's I'm just kind of a couple of, of, of small examples, but the same things that make us great, the same things that we know to be true about ourselves, that make us really uniquely qualified to do the work that we do, can also sometimes have their shadow side and can have their downsides. And it's all part of you know, what makes us so beautifully, imperfectly human. Nikki, that's a mic drop. I'm gonna I say we like ended here. That was beautiful, but the, it doesn't stop here. So tell everyone who's listening how they can reach out to you, you know, find your book, all of that stuff, because this was so good. Like the conversation can continue on other platforms. I would love that. And I make it super simple for everybody. So my website is nikkigroom.com. You can download a free chapter of the book there. Um, there's also some also some other goodies on my homepage that you can download for free. And then I'm on social media pretty much everywhere at Nikki Groom. So um, I'm most often on Instagram these days, but I'm also on LinkedIn, Facebook, and I would truly welcome a message, a follow, a connection. Um, love expanding my network and meeting new people. Oh, awesome. And for those of you who are listening, you know that you can find all the links to this episode at womentakingthelead.com. Nikki Groom's episode will be on there. I don't know the link because I'm going to have to make a, a different one because you already have Nikki Dash Groom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From your previous episode. But for those of you who regularly listen, you know there's a search bar at the top. You just hit that little magnifying glass, put in Nikki's name, N-I-K-K-I. Groom is G-R-O-O-M. Her two episodes will come up. You'll find this one in episode 200. Um, and so you can listen to both, get more Nikki. You will love listening to her. And Nikki, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having spent more time with you. Oh, thank you so much. I, I feel exactly the same spending time with you, Jody. Thank you. Thank you all for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. And to strengthen you on your own leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson, so here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.